John. In the first John, please turn as well to the fourth chapter. This is the end of the fourth chapter. In a moment, we're going to be reading from verses 15 down to verse 21 of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, under the topic or the title of Knowing God's Love Brings Assurance. Knowing God's Love Brings Assurance. Sometimes we all need reassuring, don't we? It doesn't matter who we are, how strong we may feel. Or how independent we may think we are. We all need reassuring. We all need reminding that what we're doing is worth it. And nothing more so than our journey toward our heavenly home. As often we can feel weary and tired and lonely. And we often ask ourselves, is it all worth it? As Christians, believers in Christ, we will all suffer some more, some less for the cause of Christ. And we need to know as we travel toward our heavenly home that we will get to our destination, that we will get to that place where we long to be. In the end, we get home. In the end, we get to heaven. Not because we're great, we're not, but because of Christ and because of his Everlasting love. That love that God has for us, his people. It reminds us, it soothes us, that there's a place, a home, a destination we will arrive at. Where there's no suffering, no sin, no conflict, no illness, no death, only peace. Worshipping God for all eternity. And it's why the service of worship, like this morning, is so wonderful. This is what we will be doing forever and ever, singing the praises of Almighty God. I wonder if the boys and girls can think about this for a second. I, have you ever gone on a long journey with your parents? Have you ever traveled a long, long way and you're thinking, how long is this? Wow, it's been two hours, we're in this car, and it's going and going. And you're wondering, how long have we been in this car? Maybe you're going somewhere special. Maybe you're going to the zoo. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Or maybe you're going to see your grandparents. Now, if you're going to somewhere special at the end of that journey, do you mind if the journey is a bit longer than normal? No. You think, look at all the fun we're going to have once we get to the zoo. We'll see all those animals. And we'll get, or maybe you're going to see your friends or your cousins. Oh, the journey. It might be long. It might be difficult. You might be thinking, how long is it taking? But at the end, we remind ourselves how much fun we're going to have when we get there. Maybe you're going to see your grandparents. And you ask, how much longer? And your mommy or your daddy says this to you. Reminding you how much fun you're going to have. Maybe your grandmother or your grandfather spoils you a lot. They give you lots of sweets. And your parents tell you that. And you don't mind, do you? 
the journey doesn't seem so bad then, does it? We're nearly there. We're nearly there at our final destination. Think of how wonderful it is when we get there. We as Christians are on a journey too. And it, for, long of, for many of us, can seem like a very, very long journey. And we wonder, maybe in our weary bodies, maybe we're sick a lot. How long, how much longer will I be here? So the journey in this life, traveling to our home in heaven, when we remind ourselves where we're going to, the final destination, where we're going to be, not just for a short time, but forever and ever, where the blessings are far greater than the sweetest things of this world. It doesn't seem so bad, does it? Any suffering we go through for the cause of Christ in this world, it doesn't seem so bad. Our difficult journey in this world When we see the love of God. We've tasted the love of God in this world. A small bit. But we're going to enjoy it. Fully. Forever and ever. And may it reassure us this morning as we read from God's word. May it remind us where we're going to. May it remove torment from our hearts. May it fill us with a love for God. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 15 to 21. Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And may the Lord, may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. When we first began looking at this first letter written by John the Apostle, this general epistle, this was back in December. December the 11th was the first time we looked at this book. And when we spoke about it, we talked about how the word assurance or assurance is a theme that is found throughout this book. How do you know that you know Christ? How do you know that you are truly a Christian, and this is a theme, a, a topic that comes up time and time again in this letter. That when you breathe your last breath, you do so not wondering, am I, but knowing that you are, that you will be in heaven for all eternity, singing the praises along with all the people of God and with all the angels. To God himself. Because God has become your chief reward. Your hope. Your expectation. Your joy. And you might be here this morning. 
wondering if you're a Christian. You might think that you are a Christian. And I pray that each and everyone here this morning is. But Jesus himself, I think we'd all agree, was the most loving man to ever walk upon the face of the earth. I think we'd all have to agree with that. He warned his people this. It says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's very, just very, very clear. And not everybody who thinks strongly that they are a Christian is truly a Christian. So the question we're going to ask ourselves today, as we hopefully all grow in assurance of faith, that we see this. And we may wonder, is that me? Am I a true believer? And am I truly saved? Friends, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we should all strive for this assurance. Not assurance where we blind ourselves to the struggles we have, but that we wrestle with God. We wrestle with the scriptures. There are times when God may take away assurance from a true believer. They may feel like, I am not a believer at all. But it's really often God wants to draw you closer to himself. To know his love. And by knowing his love, you would also know his love. Not just in a general way, but for you. In Christ. In a special way. If you know and have an assurance, God loves me. In Christ. O death, where is your sting? To know you know Christ. To know that you are on your way to heaven. And you will reach your final destination. Number one. We're going to look at this text from verses 15 down to the end of the chapter. Verse 21. And we're going to look at it under four headings. The first heading we're going to look at is strengthening love. Strengthening love. So we're looking at the love of God. And how it brings us to assurance. The more we know of God's love For us, his people. Verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Through knowing Jesus, the Son of God, we live and dwell in. God. We, his life, he, he, we have life in him. He is love. He is life. And his love, the more we experience it, the more we taste and see that God is good and taste and see that loving kindness that God has for his people in Jesus Christ, it strengthens us. It gives us greater confidence and boldness as we travel on our journey toward our heavenly home, that we will get there in the end. That when we do breathe our last breath, we will be in the presence of God, the blessed presence of God for all eternity. God and his love gives life. 
eternal life to those trusting in Jesus Christ and in him alone. If you're trusting in Jesus plus something else, uh, Jesus plus a little bit of your works, that's not the gospel. It is Jesus alone who saves. And we have life from him. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And who is this love for? Who is this strengthening love for? It is for all Christians. It is for all Christians. Every believer or confessor that Jesus is the Son of God. Whoever confesses, verse 15, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, or dwells in him, or remains in him, and he in God. It's got the idea of a permanent dwelling. God dwells in you and you in him. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. And this word uh, confess is the idea of to express openly your loyalty or your allegiance to a, an idea or a person. Now, as we come up towards the coronation, uh, the crowning of a new king, King Charles III, there will be oaths and, and, and expressions of loyalty towards the king. Well, we're expressing by believing in Jesus Christ our loyalty to our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords to confess him with our mouth and to believe in our hearts that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the king and rightfully on his throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. But you're only going to confess this, verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, if God has done a work in your heart. If he has changed you to believe and to confess. This is the only reason we're here and there's people who are you know, playing sports and doing all sorts of things that they do on the Sabbath day rather than coming to church. It is because God has done a work in our hearts. It's not because we're any better than anybody else. We believe. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's one of the reasons we have uh, in, in, church, in the church for the last 2,000 years, we have creeds and confessions. We, as a people together, profess and believe central truths about Christ, about how he's God, about how this is the word of truth without error, infallible in all that it speaks about. And it brings about unity. So that we see who is someone who believes this and someone who doesn't believe this. But by the way, just out of curiosity, preparing for this sermon, I was wondering, I, was, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mormon church. The Mormon church is not a Christian church. The Mormon church would believe that there's many gods and if you're, you're what they see in their mind, a good Christian, you can become a god yourself. But on their website, it says that they believe that Jesus is the son of God. That might sound very confusing. But they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the way we believe that he is the Son of God. It's why it's so important, isn't it? That we know what the truth is. That we know how to discern truth from error. We saw that earlier in a a previous sermon. In verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Verse 1. And test the spirits whether they are of God. It's important that we, we add meat to these bones. 
that we develop and grow in our understanding. And to believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, as revealed in the Word, God must have done a work in our hearts. There are many groups that will claim to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but really they do not. In our creeds and confessions of faith, we as Christians believe that Jesus is God, the unique one and only God, described as by the Holy Scripture. And the more you believe this truth, the more you believe that he is the Son of God, as is revealed in the Scriptures, the more his strengthening love becomes experienced in your heart. The more he lives and dwells in you through his Spirit, you in him. And he never leaves you. If he has regenerated your heart, made you a new creature in Christ, given you life, he will never leave you. The strengthening love, it reassures our hearts, knowing him, producing good fruit, making us more holy so as we journey toward our heavenly home and become more like him, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, then we know we've been changed by him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, verse 17, because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Is our fruit more Christ-like? Not perfect, but does it show that we love him as he is? So strengthening love. Number two now, we're going to look at soothing love. Soothing love. This love of God brings healing. It brings to aching limbs as we journey toward from one place to another. As we leave behind a city of destruction, our sin and misery. And we travel toward our heavenly home with Christ. Along the way, we're weary, aren't we? We're all weary. We're tired. And we need the soothing love. This confidence, this boldness that the Spirit of God and that the love of God, when we experience it more and more, gives us. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. So rather than being tormented by that day, rather than being tormented by the thought of death, we realize that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are reassured of his love. We are reassured that God loves us. Verse 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. This is a special Redeeming love, it's speaking of here. It means that when we come closer to our final breath, and none of us know when that is. You can be young or old. You might be, according to the doctor, in perfect health. But none of us know our final day or our final hour. Only the Lord knows. Having confidence in the day of judgment is that we know we've been clothed by Christ. We're not going to go before him in our own works. If we did, we'd be in trouble. 
He sees Christ's finished work. No more death. No more suffering. He sees perfect keeping of the law. Summarized in the Ten Commandments. And friends, how many times have we broken the law of God? If you could go to a beach and count up all the grains of sand, you could probably still not get close to the number of times we have broken God's law. He sees perfect law keeping if we are trusting in Jesus alone because of Christ so that our attitude for the day of judgment is not fear and torment. The devil would love for you to fear and torment. The devil would love for, for the true believer to have, remember all the nasty things he's done in his life but to forget as well the blessed washing by the blood of the Lamb. Knowing we have repented of our sin, knowing that we've trusted in Jesus Christ, knowing that in this world we long more and more to be with him. Something only true if God has saved us. You won't want to be in heaven unless the Lord has saved you. Maybe a heaven of your own imagination, but it's not going to be the heaven of scripture, to be in the blessed presence of God, knowing that we know him healed by him, not just in this world, but eternally, forever and ever, spiritually. There's a, I've noticed as well over the years and in different parts of the world, healing services are very popular in certain churches. But the mistake that they make among many is they do not really think of the everlasting healing promised in the gospel, promised in places like Isaiah 53. Now, if you're sick, please pray to God for healing, physical healing, absolutely. But even if the Lord heals you at that moment, and if you've prayed and he's healed you, he has healed you. But you will one day die and have to stand before God. This is where eternal, everlasting healing comes in. When we're facing God, we come to him with confidence. We're not worried. Because we know our sin has been dealt with in Christ. We know that the wrath of God has been appeased. And we know that he finds joy in little old me. And you think, how? How is that possible? I am a sinner. I am but a creature. As he is. So are we in this world. Verse 18. He has brought us into saving union and communion with Christ. We live in a world that is so tormented by the thought of dying. There's a sense in which the world should have a healthy fear of death. Um, the lost world should fear dying because they know they're going to face God, but they don't have Christ. The Christian world, really, and I know we, we don't perfectly live up to this ideal most of the time, we shouldn't fear death. It has had a lasting impact in me visiting people in their final weeks, final days, when they've had complete peace and joy that they're going to be with their Heavenly Father. There was no anger, no bitterness, but peace. We need that healing, that eternal healing, 
that lasts forever and ever. You see, dear friends, what John is writing here in this epistle, fear torments. It says in verse 18 that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because because fear involves what? Torment. And he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear is tormenting. It's tormenting. And especially when the fear that John is speaking about here of the final day of judgment. It's so important that we know that we know him. That we know that we can say with confidence and boldness and reassurance, we love him. We only love him for one reason. Because he first loved us. And if you love him this morning, he first loved you. Wasn't the other way around. He sought and set upon us his soothing, reassuring love, removing torment as, he, as we experience it more and more. Number three now, surrendering love. Surrendering love. So we've looked at strengthening love, soothing love, surrendering love. And that love which brings assurance to our hearts is also a love that brings us to surrender more and more to Christ. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That love set upon us will change us. If God has set his love upon you, it won't just leave you as you are. The scriptures are very clear about that. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but we're going to be different. We're going to be changed by that love. It says in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 to 9, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because you would keep the oath which you swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. But who does he keep it with? Which people does he keep it with? Those who love him and keep his commandments. Do you see? Do you see the connection? He did not set his love upon us because we were command keepers or good people. No. But... He keeps his covenant. He is always faithful and merciful. And how do we tell those he's been faithful and merciful to? Those who love him and keep his commandments. Those who've been changed from serving self to serving God. Those who've gone from surrendering to their own lusts to surrendering to Christ's love and his desires and will. Christ and his law. Now, dear friends, we must not think that there's a a conflict between obeying God and loving God. So many people do think that. They go hand in hand. Our moments of sin, even as believers in Jesus Christ, our hearts have been changed, but our moments of sin, what is it really? It's saying to God, no. No. The will of God says this and we refuse it. Our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. But when we obey God and surrender to him in obedient love which he has 
poured out upon us, we gladly follow that God who is love. To obey him. And his love grows in us. And as his love grows in us, the torments, the fears, they're removed more and more. They truly are. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 to 13 says this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the the Lord your God? To walk in all his ways and to love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. All the way throughout the scripture, loving God and obeying God, they really go parallel along with each other. Because to reject God and to not obey him is not loving. If we want to love our neighbor, that was a phrase used a lot over the last few years. Obey the law of God. Love God. And out of that love for God, a love for neighbor naturally flows. A love that strengthens us, a love that soothes us, a love that reassures us is a love that really brings us to surrender to God. We cannot claim to experience the love of God unless it changes us. We can't. Because the more we know of his love, the more it grieves us when we sin. And if the Lord is chastising you, Sometimes when we sin, we feel horrible. That's a good sign. But if we, when you sin and you're doing things that are clearly against the word of God, and you know that it's against the word of God and has no effect on your conscience, that is when someone needs to worry. A mature and holy Christian obeys God. Now nobody does this perfectly. But let us not deceive ourselves that a life of constant sin is consistent with this. Part of our obedience involves also, as well, we see this in our verses here, verse 20, 1 John chapter 20, how we treat one another. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Friends, this redeeming, this soothing, this strengthening, this wonderful love that God has for us, it's not just for you. It's also for all the people of God. And it brings us to our final point, which is sharing love. Sharing love. So we've looked at strengthening love, soothing love, surrendering love. And now we're going to look at sharing love. We know of God's love. It blesses us, and as the more we've experienced it and we know of God's love for us in Christ, it removes fear and torment for that day coming, that we won't stand under the wrath of God, that that has been dealt with in Christ. It drives it out of our mind and our hearts. The more we fear God, the less we're going to fear other things. The more we love God, the less we're going to fear these tormenting fears And I know we all struggle in various areas. Every single one of us. But with that love that has worked in us. We must remember that love does not stop with us. It ought to be like a well. 
springing out, being shared with others. It cannot be just me and my relationship with God. If our relationship with God improves, our relationship with the church will also improve. It goes, it cannot be a a selfish love, a self-interested love. It's not about that. It's not just about our walk. It's about our love with those around us. And I've even noticed this with people in the world. People are not Christians at all. Uh, People who have come back from war and, and really difficult situations. People have come back with suffering mentally in other ways. And one of the ways they overcame that struggle was by helping other people with exactly the same problems they had. Why? Because we've been made in the image of God. And the more we reject God's law and will, the more miserable and tormented we're going to be. But the closer we are to God and the closer to being what we've been made to be in the image of God, the more joy we'll experience even in this world. Do we have love to share? And love is not just, we have to be careful with this, it's not just telling people what is nice and what is popular. It's telling people the truth because you care about them. You know, if you, if you meet somebody and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, share the gospel. You know, metaphorically, they're, they're in a burning building, but it, that's not nice to hear. That they are sinners. It's not nice to tell somebody, you're a sinner. People are going to be offended by that. But because you love that person, you want them to know Christ. If you love them so much, you're willing to even offend them. So that they can come to know Christ. So they can come to know the truth. Jesus prayed that his people will be sanctified by this truth, the Father's truth. It says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does sanctify mean? Sanctify means to be made more holy. So Jesus, when he prays to the Father in John 17, he's praying for his people to be more like God in holiness. Or you could say another way, more truly loving. And that love is shared to brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but that really is the biggest test. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. See, the the chances are, someone could be a false convert, say they love God, hate believers in Christ, but love the lost. That's the way it could work out. And that's a dangerous place to be. Do we have a love for our brethren? Now, we should also have a love for our neighbor who is not a believer. And how do we love them the best? When opportunity presents itself, love them with various different needs that they may have, but the greatest need that they have is the gospel. That's the greatest need anyone has. Do we pray for those people? We come across every day. Do we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ? I praise God for that prayer list that we have around the church. And I thank God for that. And that's a wonderful opportunity just to remind you, oh, I haven't prayed for that person in a while. I need to pray for them today. 
And it's good to remind ourselves because I tell you, dear friends, the more you pray for somebody, the more you're going to care about them. And the less you pray for somebody, well, how can you love people you do not pray for? Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. It's, it's easy to say we love God who we do not see with our eyes. But do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ who you do see on a daily basis? And we all have our faults and failings, every single one of us. Have you experienced God's love? Then it will change your relationships with others. That love is a love of what is good. And it's a love for the people who love also what is good. It says in verse 21, And this commandment we have heard from him, and this is God's commandment, that he who loves God must love his brother also. That is, commandments 5 to commandment 10, summarized. It's the same law. That law written, the Ten Commandments with the finger of Almighty God, is, is summarized here in another way. And it's the second table of the law. To love God is the first table. And to love your neighbor as yourself is the second table. Out of our love for God flows in a sharing of love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we don't take those opportunities. If we've really got an animosity and a, and a bitterness towards them. What God are we following? But if we see how Christ loved us first, won't we seek to love others first, even before they show us love? The true and real love of God brings us together as believers in Jesus Christ. In the church, it really shouldn't matter what our background is, as long as we share this love of Jesus Christ. If you look at the disciples in the first century, they all came from different backgrounds. Zealots and tax collectors. All sorts of backgrounds that would normally have been at odds with each other. But we share the God who is love. Brings us closer together. Brings not only peace with one another in our relationships, but also the most important peace that we need with God. And when we know we have that peace, it brings assurance. It reassures our hearts that we're truly going to arrive in the celestial city. Do you lack this here this morning? All of us have doubts at times. Do you lack this here this morning? What you need is more of Christ. It may be the Lord wants you to spend more time with him in prayer. It may be that the Lord wants you to spend more time listening to his word at home. It may be, there may be many reasons. But what you do need more of, if you do struggle in this area, is more of Christ. He is the answer. He is the solution to our torments, our fears, and our struggles. As we walk ever closer toward our final destination. This is what it's all about, friends. It's not about here. There's going to come a day when even this building won't be here. What matters is the eternal city of God. And I pray that each and every one here cannot wait to be there. Amen.